Well, we're here Dayton 2011 at the Hamvention, and uh, with us is Don. And uh, Don, I'm not sure how you pronounce your last name. It's uh, Bauman. Okay, we'll get right up on that mic if you would. Sure. And his call sign is K7MX. He is with Flex Radio Systems. Good morning. And tell me a little bit about, uh, about, about Flex Radio. What makes it different than... Well, Flex Radio is a pretty unique combination of uh, uh, software and hardware. Uh, the radios have been developed over the last approximately 10 years by Gerald Youngblood, who is the owner CEO of the company, uh, as an entrepreneurial sort of an experiment. Uh, and it, uh, it has grown into a real, uh, a real company. So this is software-driven. It's a software-driven radio. It's a software-defined radio uh, in that uh, a, a great portion of the radio is, in fact, software instead of hardware. Uh, of course, now things like the finals and things like that have to be. Right, have right. to be. But now, uh, I mean, what is the difference in, a, in, like, say, for example, a analog circuit or a transistor or IC circuit that does filtering as opposed to a software-driven filter? Uh, it's a very good question, and uh, it's all done with DSP filters based on fast Fourier transforms, uh, math functions essentially, uh, replace uh, crystal filters, monolithic filters, uh, the old ceramic filters of the old days uh, are, are no longer used. They're replaced, uh, reduced to uh, math equations, uh, and you can do things uh, using software that you can't do with, with physical elements, uh, shape factors of 1.05 to one, for example, uh, very steep skirted uh, filters that are user definable in one cycle increments, if you like. Uh, you can define a filter to be what you want it to be rather than what the manufacturer provides. So what about, for example, now when you get into transmitting, uh, shaping the audio that, yeah. that you are filtering the audio or shaping the audio, sure. boosting certain frequencies, cutting certain frequencies. Sure. And, and, of course, there are some great products out there that do it all in the analog domain. Uh, Flex Radio does it in the digital domain, again, using DSP functions with built-in equalizers, uh, compressors, companders. Uh, you can vary the level of aggressiveness of the speech processing simply by changing a numeric value. Uh, so we emulate those uh, those circuits, but all again done in software. It becomes it becomes very flexible, very easy to change. Um, if you were, let's say, a person is just deciding to to look into software driven radio right now, or software defined radio, as you're saying. Um, what I mean, okay, where do they where do they begin? What do they start looking at? What's what's the 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 entry level area to get into? Yeah, here? And, and Flex offers a range of products uh, for for different levels of uh, of uh, uh, involvement. In fact, they've just introduced uh, uh, last year at Dayton uh, the Flex fifteen hundred, which is a QRP version of the radio. It's a five watt all band radio, but employs the same software defined technology. In fact uses the same software that the top product uses. Of course, you don't get the same levels of, of performance. The, the receiver dynamics <clears throat> excuse me, uh, receiver dynamics are not quite as good as the top uh, level radio, but still uh, uh, in a class that puts it above, I would say, the majority of radios available today at a $600 price point, you get to experience the full advantage of software-defined radios. Uh, uh, 160 through 6 meters, uh, 5 watts all modes. Uh, it's a wonderful little radio. Now, let me ask you this question. The, if, you, if you go up, let's say a person wants to, wants to do entry level, 
But they at least want a 100-watt radio or something that's got 100 watts output, something that they can work with on the other end, necessarily QRP fans. Right. What, what, where, where do they go at that point? There's, there's a mid-level radio that's been around for probably three years. It's called the Flex 3000. And just as you described, it's a 100-watt it's a radio. Uh, it has a conventional RF finals in it, um, 160 through 6 meters, has a built-in antenna tuner, um, another level of uh, uh, performance in the receiver, same bands, same modes, uh, better A to D converters, yield higher dynamic range, uh, and that's the mid, mid-level mid product for Flex Radio. It's called the Flex 3000. What, what does it go for approximately? Uh, there's a show, uh, show special price, uh, $1,599. Okay, and that, and that gets a person into a complete software-defined radio. Correct. Now, a person just getting into this, I mean, are they... Are, are the 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 portions of the radio which are defined in software is the code available for somebody that says hey you know I want to try this myself I want to make my own filter I want to design this I want to change the IF in this radio I want to very do good very good question and in fact yes it's open source uh, the uh, the power SDR software that has been developed by uh, Flex Radio over the years and in fact is the industry standard it's it's used generally with the folks who are playing with soft rocks and uh, those type of uh, SDR receivers generally use power SDR that is uh, that is open source code is available uh, from from uh, flex radio uh, and in fact it's one of the powerful things of, of this whole SDR movement from flex uh, a, a great deal of the improvements uh, new features performance of the radios have been generated by by people who are not um, uh, let's say employees of flex but associated with flex and just said hey I can do that better or have a better idea uh, they have access to the code. They uh, they improve the performance. They add new features. In fact, we have a new product this year in the booth. Uh, it's called the Flex Control. Uh, for those people who, who really can't have a radio without knobs, we now offer a knob. Flex offers a knob. Uh, that was uh, pointed at at, uh, at contesters because they require particular functions, particular focus on on activities. And a couple of uh, Flex volunteer people who are very good at software developed the Flex knob to a point where it was ready to turn into a product, gave it to Flex and said, here, go, go uh, make this available if you like. It's become a product. It's available uh, brand new uh, from Flex. $129 uh, controls many functions of the radio specific to contest-type activities. So it should make uh, the Flex radios much more appealing to the contesters. Um. Okay, now, if you have software-defined radios where you're able to change the IF on the thing, you're able to change uh, uh, the uh, the audio shaping of the audio that you're transmitting, you're able to, to, to change the audio shaping of what you're listening to and filter it differently. Correct. What other areas does the software-defined radio open up to you know experimentation or or whatever i mean i, I guess i'm see because I'm, I'm talking off the cuff here i don't even know what i'm saying but i'm just saying no, okay, no, that's, that's those, a very good question those areas we know about what about the areas that most folks maybe don't know about yeah there there are uh there are things that are uniquely possible with software radios that are not really possible today with with analog type radios a new feature that's in beta format in fact we're demo, demoing in the uh, flex booth is a tracking notch filter uh, uh, because we have uh, we have visibility on the entire uh, spectrum 
of the band. We may be listening only to uh, a couple hundred cycle wide or three kilohertz wide uh, uh, spectrum uh, that we're listening to. We display the entire spectrum. And as we know, there can be offending signals uh, either inside or outside that passband. Well, the, the gurus at Flex, uh, the software geniuses, have come up with something they call a, a, a tracking notch filter that allows you through software. If you have, for example, a birdie by, uh, that's being produced by a wall wart or a plasma TV or any of those offending signals that we all encounter in the band, uh, through the power of software, you can, uh, you can generate a notch filter uh, on any particular frequency in the passband uh, at any depth you want it to be, identify that, put it over the offending signal, and have it remove that signal um, from from the received passband through uh, through the power of DSP. Uh, you can impose uh, multiple notch filters, and the beauty of these is not just notch filters; they're called tracking notch filters because once you tune the radio to a different frequency, the notch stays on that offending signal. Uh, eliminating it from from the receiver passband, so uh, it's it's a wonderful new feature and quite unique to software-defined radios. I was wondering sometimes if, they, if they're monitoring the entire spectrum. You know, if you could not um, like program something that would that would be sensitive to, let's say, a CW signal that's calling your specific call sign. You know, so that if you're if you're sending in one, at one point on the band, anyone answering you anywhere, the radio will immediately recognize your call sign and flag you to the fact that you've got somebody over here answering you. Well, it's it's it's. Uh, I've been involved in SDR. My background is electrical engineering, so I'm just fascinated by this stuff. Uh, and uh, and it just it lends one to have your mind uh, expand to. If it's possible to conceive with software, you can probably do it. Uh, we're probably all familiar with uh, with CW Skimmer, where uh, you can look at a large number of CW signals, uh, have the software decode all of those. It's not a, a real big leap of faith where you can say, well, gee, if one of those happens to transmit my call sign, it could put a little flag up on the on the uh, on the uh, display that says, hey. So-and-so is calling you, uh, sort of like an automatic link uh, thing that, that the military does. I, I just, it just takes me back to novice days where you would operate very close to the, the band edge, you know. Yes. And sometimes generals would answer you outside, outside of that, that novice portion. They would, they'd go outside, to, you know. And then, of course, there's always the situation where, you know, you're right at the edge of the band period. And some foreign countries can operate just outside of that area, so they may answer you there, but you can only transmit in, in the one area. So it's got, and I and I don't know what what that is, but I I I recall doing or operating CW where people would not answer you on the frequency that you were calling. Them. Well, back in the old days, uh, the, the, those those of us who have been around for a long time uh, were used to operating calling CQ and uh, and spinning the dial to see who might be calling us someplace else. So. Uh, with the SDR radios, it's it's uh, highly well, conceivable. Think, well, uh, I, you know, I'm talking about well past the crystal days, even to the VFO days, and I still could never figure out why someone would call you, you know, 
five KC up the band or six KC or seven KC. It just doesn't make any sense, but they would do it, you know. So well, with, with SDR radios, you can actually see the signals. Uh, uh, you don't actually have to listen to them. You can see them uh, across the whole spectrum. So, uh, but uh, with with uh, technology such as Skimmer, uh, you can read those calls, or the software can read the calls, and uh, you could be flagged if somebody were calling you off frequency. Now the other thing is 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 what about you know one thing that's become very popular, I think, amongst hams, and guys are figuring out how to do it all over the place, over the internet, and that is remote control of the radio yes. via internet. Uh, how do you folks fare up in that department? Well, actually very well. Again, since, uh, since the computer uh, is doing many, many of the functions of the radio, uh, uh, there are wonderful third-party uh, programs that, uh, that allow... Uh, remote control of virtually all the functions, and, this, and the Flex Radio does provide uh, uh, cat commands, uh, such as many of the other radios today, that allow you to get to virtually every function of the radio remotely. Uh, so it's it's quite simple to do. It requires a little bit of software, uh, additional software to do that. You need something to control the radio to emulate the uh, uh, the control panel. And a couple of audio streams up and down, uh, quite easily done over Skype or uh, Ultra VNC, uh, your choice of the software. It's eminently doable. There are a number of uh, very high-quality flex remote stations running around the world. Well, I, I, I guess, you know, I've been talking with Bob Heil, talks about going to his hotel room and firing up the computer and then logging into the... the uh, the rig at home and then talking and I think I don't know if they're using Skype some of these but it's just oddball you think about the, some of these radios they have an SO239 on the back for the RF and they have a, a Cat5 connector on the back so you can plug a network cable you know right. so, <laughs> so um, anyhow um, for folks that want to contact you and they want to find out more about, about Flex Systems or Flex Radios uh, what's the best way to go? I know you got a website. But. Right. I would recommend uh, uh, contacting the factory. Uh, we have factory uh, technical support. Uh, the sales team uh, available, uh, the telephone, uh, email, uh, www.flex-radio.com uh, is, is the best way to contact the factory directly. Uh, great technical support staff there. Uh, wonderful sales staff. Uh, the company's been built by Gerald on customer support. And uh, we were just at the Flex Banquet last night, uh, well-attended uh, Flex users from all around the world. And, uh, uh, and Gerald reiterated that uh, the, the company philosophy is give the customer more than they deserve. And uh, it's been true in my experience uh, with the past five or six years with Flex. They always exceed expectations. It's a very wonderful company based in Austin, Texas. Products are designed, built, manufactured. Uh, marketed uh, right out of uh, of Austin, and uh, I'm I'm very supportive of what they do. Well, that's very good. I appreciate you coming by and talking. You're very welcome. Is there anything else you want to add to this, or anything you want to inform or say? That's uh, this is a good. This is, oh, this it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity to say uh, say good things about Flex. Uh, there are many other radio uh, companies around here uh, very well represented, and I'm just uh, delighted that the technology continues to march forward, and uh, it's it's an exciting time in amateur radio. Well, the, the first Flex radio I had heard about was a fellow that had, uh, actually, we were doing Field Day Live, and we do this on Field Day. We broadcast on Field Day, and then all the locations from all over the country, these guys are calling in, and they tell us what's going on and how many stations have got set up and what class they're running in what they're cooking for lunch and what they're cooking for dinner and all that. You know, they give us the whole nine yards. But all of a sudden, our phone rang, and it was uh, it was Captain Jeff Hammer calling from uh, Iraq. 
And they were listening just outside the 40-meter band, wondering what all this stuff was about ham radio outside the band on field day. And uh, he called in. And, uh, of course, he, he later on, I guess, he, he wound up purchasing a flex. And I guess he had it over there in Iraq, operating the thing in Iraq. Yeah. I feel, I've ever heard of him. I don't know if you ever heard of him. No, no, I, I don't know. But that's what they were... They, they were doing that over there. You know, so, and, uh, well, was, uh, you know, with uh, with the advent of uh, computer logging, virtually every station has a computer now, including field days, multiple computers, and uh, it's just a natural interface. Uh, the, the computer plugs into the flex. Uh, it becomes an extension of the radio. It, uh, it, it, it's... Uh, in my uh, station, I have several flex radios. Uh, I never even consider the computer anymore. It's just part of the radio. Uh, there you go. Well, thank you so much. You're I very welcome. You Glad to be here. And uh, we'll have to talk again sometime soon. Keep us up to date as to the anything Absolutely. new. Always something new with flex. Very good. Thank, right. you. thank you. We're live at Dayton, and this is the Dayton Hamvention 2011. And uh, we're broadcasting, obviously, from Hare Arena and. Uh, it's it's been it's been quite a show. It really has. Uh, this has been something that uh, uh, I think that will go down as one of the one of the better amateur radio ham fests from Dayton. I got a gentleman sitting down here. It, it, it looks like his name is Matt. It looks like KC8BEW is yep. the call sign. And uh, you, it says Boy Scouts of America on your uh, on your shirt. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing here? Well, what we got is over at the uh, ARL section, we have a booth there talking about amateur radio and scouting. And uh, uh, some people may or may not know that the ARL and the Boy Scouts of America has signed a formal agreement uh, to promote amateur radio in scouting. And uh, this is our fourth year now coming and doing this booth, and we're just... Uh, just getting the information out there. There are a lot of scouters or, or people who used to be in scouts that when you, when you get on the radio, it's all of a sudden, hey, uh, I, I was a scout. I did this back then, or, or that's how I got into amateur radio. Well, like myself, that's how I got my license. So, um, you know, we're, we're out there promoting it and, and getting the word out that it is still there and, and still a great program. Okay, now tell me a little bit about how it works. Give me the mechanics of it. Now, in a, in a local area, um, you have obviously, uh, I guess I want to say a local organization of some sort, right. you know, the, way, the way the thing works out with scouting. And I'm not real familiar with how scouting works, but uh, I, I do know there's merit badges and there's mm-hmm. things that they do and there's the, the scout master and, and, he, and he, he has like a, uh, a, a group of young boys that he fools with on, on camping trips and all right. kinds of things. They go, they do all kinds of stuff. And, and, I, and I guess I missed out on that when I was a kid. I, I was never involved in scouting. I, I guess I was, the, the proximity was never around mm-hmm. where, I, where somebody, and usually doesn't scouting work like it's, it's almost a referral where somebody knows about it Therefore, they say, hey, you know, you need to be involved in scouting. And so uh, they tell a parent or a child, and then all yep. of a sudden they're, you know, all of a sudden there's an interest there, and they get, they get pulled into it. I just, but I used, to, I used to really get a, a big bang out of the, the fellows I knew that were that later on in life that I, that I knew they were scoutmasters, you know, because <laughs> they'd have these projects over the weekends, you know, and they'd come back and they'd tell all these stories, and it was just hysterical, some of the stuff that went on and how they worked with the kids and whatnot. But how, kind of give us a background mechanically. How does this work on the local level? Okay, well, you have the, the local unit uh, uh, with Cub Scouts. It's a pack. 
with troops. It's a uh, uh, is the older boys from 11 to 18, and uh, what happens is is they're they're chartered by an organization of some sort. It could be uh, you know the the uh, the Moose Lodge, uh, a church, uh, it could be anything, and then they are part of a council, and the council is the the local. Uh, I guess head of the organization, uh, and then our national office being in Irving, Texas, that uh, they would report to. And what happens is, is um, to get somebody in Scouts, uh, we go into the schools, the elementary schools, and promote it, the Cub Scout program to the the boys there. We have a school night in the fall where they come out and get to talk to the local leaders for that for that area and can see them that way and then like you said a lot of it is word of mouth that hey you know uh you know your boy there is old enough to be in in cub scouts why don't you bring him down and see if he'd like to do that uh so that's that's kind of how that gets going um but yeah, it starts at the the local level at the council. Then it does go to a regional area, uh, and then to the national level. And then with the merit badges, we do have a radio merit badge that does promote amateur radio broadcast and shortwave listening. Uh, there's uh, the talk about the mechanics of how radio works, what happens, you know, how a signal travels electronics all the way down through and then they have a choice whether they want to do amateur radio which of course we're promoting here but you know we also do talk about the broadcast and the shortwave so you know they have that opportunity to 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 participate in that and sometimes it makes it easier too you can work it out with the local radio station and they go in and they see the big studio and djs and and sometimes even let them talk on the on the radio and such uh, but then you get the the ham shack that hey you want to visit a radio station here you go and there and you bring it right to them and and just set up like a mini field day uh, then uh, in October third weekend on in October every year uh, this year's the 15th and 16th uh, there is uh, what's called Jamboree on the air or Joda. And that is the largest amateur, or correction, largest uh, scouting event because it is worldwide. If you want a chance to talk to scouts, uh, you come out on for Joda in your local area, uh, get with a unit, and uh, you know see if they can, if you know, offer it up to them. And then, if not, just be on the radio because it's nothing cooler than the boys coming in and being able to talk to somebody, mm-hmm. uh, especially, you know, in another state, another country. They just have a blast. So they're working, and on that day, they're working not just um, a VHF, but they're also working on HF radios. Too. Oh, yes. So you, you, could, you can get on the HF bands on, what is it, Joda? Correct. And then communicate with scouts, so you could be a part of providing contacts for them. Yep. So they would. That's that is really that's that's cool. Interesting. Now, now, are, are you folks involved in getting them into just the technician level, or do you do you? Does this also continue on up into the the general and the higher class licenses, like the extra? Oh, we we uh, you know it depends on the, on the local area how they want to how they want to do it. Uh, when we teach radio merit badge. Um, there's one, uh, K2GW has a website design that he does a weekend 
60 boys he's able to put through in a patrol method, which is 10 boys per patrol. So they have the six different classes, and they go through the entire radio merit badge, and they can get be able to accomplish that. But at the end, they go, hey, for just a couple hours more, we can get you to ready to take the test, and then you can get, be a technician, and you can actually talk on the radio. And so that's how he pulls them in on, on that. Uh, and a lot do offer that. Uh, then there are just, like normal amateur radio, where you have the one-day class on getting them in. Uh, my local area here in Ohio, over around Zanesville, we have a uh, person that does do a uh, general course. And we offer that to them as well. And we get that down into the local office. Now, for folks that want to, if, 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 are you available to provide more information to people who want to get involved in scouting and amateur radio across the country and around the world and all that sort of thing? I can, and not only my myself, uh, but also if you go to scouting.org, which is the main website for the Boy Scouts of America, you will find uh, the information in there on Jamboree on the Air, and you can make contact uh, that way or drop me an email. Uh, Matt dot kc8 bravo echo whiskey kc8bw at gmail.com okay your email address one more time is matt matt dot dot kc8bw at gmail.com right, very good listen i appreciate you coming by and talking to us this has been informative and uh, I, I think the whole thing with scouting is just a great, a great thing to see amateur, especially to see the league married to the Boy Scouts of America under any kind of program. Is, oh, absolutely. Is, is, uh, is really a good thing and incredible. And I appreciate you coming by and talking. Not about a problem. It. All righty. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. We've got uh, Scott Hartledge, I believe. Is that am I saying your, your name correct? Yes, you are. And get right up on that mic. <laughs> All right. Pretty sure I've got the right. The right. Uh, yep. There we go. Now you're okay. Now you're hot. So what? I notice you. You've got the ARRL T-shirt on. Are you with the league or who? Who are you with? I'm curious here. Um, I'm wearing a uh, a league uh, shirt for the uh, ARRL Expo. All the uh, staff and volunteers are wearing this shirt, and I'm a volunteer. You're a volunteer. What? Do you, what? What brings you to Hamvention? What are you doing here? Um, oh, for the last uh, seven years, I believe, my daughter and I have uh, journeyed to Dayton from Atlanta, and uh, we work with uh, the youth, and we put on the ARRL Youth Lounge. Well, I, I was walk, I walked over there, and I, I saw all these kids over there. Tell the folks a little bit about all the things that these kids can do and what you're involved with there. Oh, sure. I'd be happy to. Um, the Youth Lounge concept is that um, our slogan is that if you have a, uh, a prize barrel, then you should have a Youth Lounge. Uh, we need to have a place uh, at Hamfest for youth to have, to hang out, to meet other youth, um, and to just be able to have uh, fun. Um, while they're having fun, without them knowing it, we inject some amateur radio into their brains. Um, and we do it with a bunch of different activities. Um, we have uh, phonetic alphabet, for instance. They're, they they love to uh, learn the phonetic alphabet and recite it and memorize it. Um, and so what we do is with all of our activities is we give out points. And whatever activity they're doing, 
they get points for uh, memorizing the phonetic alphabet or uh, uh, doing any of the activities, then they can trade the points in for prizes. And this keeps them motivated the whole weekend, and they're always trying to get to the 150-point prize bin where they get the cool prizes. And so, um, you know, one of the uh, things they can do is uh, learn the phonetic alphabet and do the hula hoop so that they uh, go alpha through Zulu while they're doing the hula hoop. Um, <laughs> you know, it just, just makes it fun. Um, we have uh, Morse code sheets where they learn to uh, send their name and code and so forth and get exposed to the secret language. Uh, we have a uh, uh, amateur radio scavenger hunt where they walk around the ham fest with their parents or grandparents and they find uh, yagis and extras and ham radio license plates and a ham that uh, hasn't bought anything today and a ham that has bought something today and, and different things like this. Um, and what it does is it gets them to interact with the uh, hams and and then no ham's going to let them get by with just a question. Then there's an interaction between them and you get the, the young and the old meeting one another and, and uh, there's a great um, synergy that, that occurs there. Um, we have a fox hunt that goes on the entire time um, so that anybody that wants to fox hunt, the fox is out there hiding someplace, and we teach them about triangulation and how to find and, and uh, attenuate and turn a circle and, and uh, so forth. And they love that. Um, we have uh, QSL cards uh, where they can make up their own QSL card. We give them an index card, and they can uh, draw their own QSL card. Uh, they can make a Morse code bracelet where... Uh, they choose a, a bead that's one color for a dot and one color for a dash and another color for uh, space, and they put their name in Morse code on a bracelet. And they are really proud of these bracelets. They go around saying, you see this? See, do you know what it says? Uh, it's my name. <laughs> well, you know, I, uh, I have a grandchild here, and we haven't seen him since we, we arrived. I mean, he, he has taken off and gone down there to your area. And he's gone. I mean, we haven't seen him at all. I don't know what. I think he takes breaks to go buy food, and then he goes back. I'm not. I'm not quite sure. Well, you know, his his father was just telling me that that he paid us the uh, largest compliment that uh, can be paid to us, and that when they when he found out he was coming back here, he said, "Cool, we can go back to the youth lounge," and then he has been there from for every minute and they make friends they see each other um, once a year and they look forward to it and um, when my daughter uh, who's 22 now when she was eight years old and went to ham fest there weren't any other kids at the ham fest um, it just wasn't a kid friendly place and uh, our home ham fest and this one uh, now there are kids running all over the place, and if we're going to get kids interested in amateur radio, we have to make it fun. You don't want to give them a resistor and start an electronics course. It's not the 50s where that used to work. you got to get make it fun and sneak it in and let them have a good time with it. Now, that's true. That, that really is true. Now, um, as they get older, uh, d- d- does I guess I want to say, your, does your activities scale up some and like for example i mean what is the age range right now i mean as far as where does it like top out at well you know the lounge is open for you know one to 21 um and anybody that's young at heart 
uh, you know, that's really the, the only thing you have to do is be young at heart to um, hang out in the youth lounge. Um, the activities, we try to have activities that are, are good for our, all the ages of the young folks. And the ones that, um, you know, get to their mid-teens and on up, um, they hang out at the, the lounge and do more socializing, um, not so much the activities. Um, but most of them end up graduating to being helpers at the lounge and staff members at the lounge, and then they help the, the younger kids. Um, but meanwhile, they're doing things like um, they'll disappear from the booth and they'll go over to the ARRL project building section and they'll come back with a project that they built and so forth. Um, it's more, for the older kids, it's more of a, uh, a social place. Um, they really like the uh, youth dinner every Saturday at day, at Hamvention. On Saturdays, Saturday evenings from 5 to 7, we have a youth dinner. And, um, you know, even though these kids don't have activities that we have figured out that they like in our booth, they show up for that youth dinner. And, you know, we have kids in their 20s that keep coming back um, because they want to see all the friends that they met in their teens. Um, so it's a, it's a really neat uh, experience to see how it's it's developed and grown. Well, the uh, I guess I want to say the, the social interaction to me seems to be the absolute total important thing because once they leave here, you know, and they go back to their home area, they may not have, there may not be other kids that they can socialize with in regards to ham radio like they would here. Oh yes, it'd be interesting uh, to see in time. If, uh, if, if you folks ever were able to establish, like, uh, an HF net or uh, something on Echolink where after they go back home they can still maintain contact and talk to each other on a regular basis, you know, other than just, say, email, but by means of amateur radio. Yeah, they, you know, the, the kids of today are a different social animal, and they do stay in contact, but they stay in contact with text messages and, and with uh, Facebook and so forth. Um, and they really look forward to coming back. We, I've seen nets for youth start up and die down a million times. I haven't figured out why they don't uh, continue and in, in, in grow legs of their own. Um, but, yeah, it would be great to see. I, we just haven't seen that phenomenon occur yet. I, I know years ago there used to be, a, on, on, I know on, on the 80-meter uh, band, there used to be a, a teenage net that was quite strong. A lot, of, a lot of kids would check into that thing. It may still be there. I don't know. I mean, I haven't heard it, so I, 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 just, uh, I just recall it being there. And some of them would get into some mischief on the air, too. I mean, I remember hearing some stories. <laughs> but nonetheless... Uh, I, you know, the, it is it is a kind of thing. It's a kind of a hobby, though. If a kid gets into it, um, they're going to have to deal with older people. It's just all, all there is to it. In other words, a lot of their social activities, a lot of their talking, all that kind of stuff is going to be people that are old enough to be their parents. As a rule, you know, sure. And, and that's a, and that's with in some kids that comes natural, you know. And other kids, it is um, it's a challenge. In other words, and I think it, it also might serve. The, uh, the the older people, the senior members of ham radio, to keep this in mind, you know, that when you're talking to a young person, you know, it's a, it's a little, you know, don't do the condescending thing. I mean, I I, I remember listening on 75 meters, a bunch of guys getting on talking about, oh, that's that, that's that young kid, he's a no-code general. 
you know. And uh, you, you wish you could just reach to the radio and slap them across the face, you know. You get some manners here, you know. Um, because you have to, I think you have to encourage these younger ones. And what you're doing is a fantastic thing. Because even, you know, at that level, if you're not even, if you're not able to, to teach them, I think that uh, what it does is it friendlies them up. It gets them with the right attitude toward ham radio. You know, this is something that's fun. You know, you come here to have fun. And by doing that, I think you're really opening some doors. Big oh, time. oh, yeah, without a doubt. Um, you know, a couple thoughts come to mind with, with your comments. Um, one is that we all have a responsibility um, to treat young hams as equals. Um, they took the same test. Well, maybe not the same test, but they got their license like, uh, like everybody else did. And uh, it's real important to uh, treat them equally. Uh, when they show up at a public service event, um, give them a meaningful task. They, they will really work hard and uh, do a good job if they're given the opportunity, and that really empowers them. Um, you know, my best story about uh, the youth lounge and, and, and what has occurred is that we had a young lady show up at, in our Atlanta Ham Fest um, at the youth lounge, and she was 16, and she was like... Um, uh, no, I'm not really into this ham radio stuff. You know, uh, that's my dad's stuff. And I'm like, okay, well, that's fine. You know, we got soda here. We got snacks and everything. If you just want to hang out and chill, then, then that's fine. And she did that. And before we knew it, she had run into another young lady, and they made friends. And next thing you know, she's doing the activities. And at the end of the day, this was on uh, Saturday. It was a two-day ham fest. And um, her dad came to uh, claim her and... And she said, Dad, Dad, can we stay till tomorrow? And uh, she said, he said, you want to stay at a ham fest? You hate ham fest. What, what are you talking about? Oh, but I made these friends, and I'm having a good time and everything. Hey, please, please, can we come back tomorrow? And so um, then uh, fast forward a year, she comes back with her, her ticket the next year. And uh, fast forward another year, and she comes back, and she was awarded the... Uh, the young ham for the section uh, for that year because she had gotten on fire down in, in her region and uh, gotten into uh, Aries and public service and so forth and had done so much. And, you know, that's that's the kind of thing we need. It's There's magic out there to be had with young people. We just have to be creative in finding it. Well, I thank you for stopping by. I, I don't want to interrupt you. we got Scott here, and Scott is... Uh I'm sure you've got some stories to tell about the ham fest this year, and I know your schedule is like maddening. I mean, you're probably, there's probably, I bet your cell phone's got 20 messages on it right now. Yeah, let me turn the microphone on for you. That works better that way. Am I on? There we go. All right. Yeah, it's, uh, my uh, schedule is uh, pulled in every direction all at, all at once. So uh, it is uh, quite a show, a lot of bodies, a lot of uh, booths. A lot of needs. Yeah, you're, you're probably getting paged, like I said, 15, 20 times. How many, all right, now, all together, how many, how many vendors do you think are here? Do you have any idea off the top of your head? Inside, we have 258. <laughs> you know, I figured he'd know to the penny. Outside, outside uh, 800. 800 or so. And, and all of them, at one point in time, have to ask a question. <laughs> They've been asking questions since about October of last year. So it, uh, we have a lot of management of people setting up booths, changes every year, new exhibitors that come in. 
uh, different needs. It's it's exciting. It really is a lot of fun. Well, how do you think the crowd is this year? Have you got any feel as to how large it is as compared to previous years? Are you seeing growth here now? Yeah, we uh, were just under 20,000 last year, 19,987. And this year we are at uh, just under 25,000. So we've grown about uh, 20%. You know, it's, you know, it's hard to tell, too, when you're in a place like this because it's so big and the crowd moves around. So if you're in an area that's really congested, you're thinking to yourself, wow, there's a lot more people here than there were last year. But then if you're in a non-congested area, you're kind of thinking, well, gee, the, the crowd doesn't look as, as big as it did. See, but when you've got a big place and people are mobile and they're moving around, it is almost impossible to get a feel for how, how many people are actually there unless you're counting them at the door. Right, and that's what you have to do. We rely on our ticket sales numbers to tell us what's here plus the, uh, the exhibitors. This year, we were blessed with wonderful weather all three days. You know, mid-70s, 80 degrees. So instead of people having to get pushed inside, they're all outside. So you don't really have a, the, the large congestion due to weather, which is nice for everyone. So everybody gets to come in. We're not elbow to elbow. And uh, we have a lot of very happy vendors because of the sheer numbers of people we have here. Anything you can think of unusual about, about the Hamvention this year that's different than maybe previous years? Well, um, we have uh, several more uh, international people in with AWRL. Qatar is here for the first time. We have our first exhibitor from mainland China. So uh, even they're, they're uh, getting into the, the capitalist system. It's nice to see so many international people here. It's just uh, that's grown a lot over the last three or four years. We're excited about that. So the first year we broadcast from here, uh, I, don't, I think you remember I had emails come in and I had some folks from China who were listening and discovered that I kept saying this was the largest amateur radio event on the planet. Okay. And they they then contacted me and asked me, can you help us get some hotel reservations? We want to come. And the very next year, they actually did. They, they came on, on a jet. I guess there was a whole group of them because I met them the following year. And uh, even though I was not really able to, I mean, I gave them some information on hotel reservations. But they actually discovered the fact that this is the largest. So I'd like to mention that again. This is the largest amateur radio event on planet Earth. Yes, so regardless of where yes, you're listening, if you want to find the biggest the, the biggest and the best, it's here. Uh, That's absolutely right. And, you know, the newest technology is here and also the oldest technology. If it's ever been made in ham radio, if you can't find it in our flea market, it's never been made. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. I was walking the flea market and I made comments because we had gone to the uh, National Association of Broadcasters meetings in Las Vegas on a pretty regular basis. And, of course, Bob Heil is always there, a big group of hams there. And um, I, I made mention of the fact that when you go to Vegas now, there's no slot machines. It's just video games that right. look like slot machines, okay? <laughs> and so, but I'm like walking out here in the flea market. What do I see? <clears throat> Sitting in the corner. I saw those. Two actual slot machines. Not the video game kind. These are actual mechanical slot machines. Yeah. And I think they had like an $800 price tag on them. I, I saw thought, those. Boy, that'd be a great thing for somebody's rec room. You know, that would be... You know, <laughs> that would, that uh, would. But only at, only at the Dayton Hamvention are you going to see things like that. You know, it's, and, and I, I, we were walking along and there was a stainless steel sink sitting out. You know, I thought, no, somebody thought to bring a sink to, send, to, to sell in the flea market area. But I see jewelry, I see, I mean, it's just... 
amazing the number of items that are out there. And, I, and the only reason I mention this is because a lot of times guys want to bring their wives to something. And so they think in their own mind, the women probably think, well, this is going to be boring because it's nothing but just radio stuff. But it's not just right. radio stuff. There's all kinds of things out there. Yeah, that's right. We have to, uh, we have, uh, in, including inside, you know, we, we know we, there's a lot of ladies and, and younger people coming. So we have uh, many different kinds of jewelry and collectibles inside that, that probably represent 10% of the booth. It's a relatively low number, but it's enough that they're interested in seeing what they have. So it's great. Well, listen, I, I don't want to. I don't want to tie you up. I know you're a busy man. Uh, if there's anything you'd like to say or add to, to what we're talking about, if you've got any other in, any information about the Hamvention this year that you'd like to add to or inviting folks back next year. Um, yeah, we are having a great response. A lot of the, the new exhibitors are so excited that have never been here. They're coming back next year. We've had uh, probably 90% of those are saying have come to me and said, Wow, we've never experienced anything like this. We're coming again next year, so we're we're expecting even more growth next year. And I can, if you've never been here, please, you have to experience this one in your life. But usually, if you experience it once, you'll want to come back. Well, the other thing too, a lot of folks are, I think, afraid of larger conventions. And when I say they're afraid, because parking bothers them, walking bothers them. It's like, and I know I've been places. Where it's just been totally inconvenient. It's like it wears you out just trying to attend. One thing about the Dayton Hamvention, it's not like that. Uh, I mean, there's there's plenty of parking everywhere. You guys have got shuttles set up in some places. I don't know how that works, but I know they're there. Uh, so it's 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 not the kind of thing that if you drive and you park and you, you come into the Hamvention that you're going to be completely, totally wore out. Now, you may be wore out from walking the flea market area. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or carrying a boat anchor yeah, back yeah. to the car. <laughs> yeah, 14 acres of flea market. That'll make you tired. Uh, but the convention itself is set up in such a way that it, it tends to be synergistic in, in that you can you can park easily, you have easy access in and out of the buildings, and it's not like right. that, that part of it doesn't wear you out. And a lot of folks are... Yeah, you know, we've, we've worked hard to do that. You know, the, the shuttles from the uh, mall parking lot, uh, the parking lots across the street... And for those folks that, that do have trouble with their legs, we have the scoot-around service here that they can get the little cart as they come in and cruise the entire show and and be perfectly comfortable all day long. Yeah, I, I noticed, I was walking over toward one area, and I noticed there was like, it looked to be about 200 of them scooters sitting there. You know, so those are, those are actually for rent. person can rent those things. And... Absolutely. 150 this year, and I think they're bringing 200 next year. Wow. Well, listen, Ted, I do have to go. I... I'm so glad you came here, and uh, I hope you've had a great time. Well, it's been a, it's been a wonderful ham fest. It really has. And I, I highly recommend Dayton to anyone. And it's it's the granddaddy. It's the biggest, like I said, the, the largest one on the planet. So, But thank you so much, Scott. I really appreciate you coming by and talking to us. All right, Ted. And look forward to seeing you again next year. See you next year. This is Dayton, and this is 2011. We are broadcasting live. And um, obviously this hamvention has... Uh, has grown larger than the Hamventions of last. I mean, I, I, you know, I couldn't. You know, it's hard to tell when you're watching and you're looking at the crowd moving around because there's there's areas that we're in, uh, like I said, that's very congested. And I think to myself, "Wow, look at this crowd!" And then there's other areas where it thins out. You think, "Well, maybe there's not as many people." So the people move around. It's kind of like. Uh, Remember the old television show, The Blob, the, or the, the movie, The Blob? <laughs> Roll to the streets and, yeah. Anyways, I guess maybe that's not a good analogy. 
pretty thin today. That's it, but it is a, but it is an analogy, I guess. Um, one thing that I want to mention too, and that is our broadcast today at uh, at the Dayton Hamvention is brought to you by Trans World Antennas, the folks in Cookville, Tennessee, that make the Trans World. TW2010, the Backpacker, the 4040, the 8080, and uh, all these antennas that are absolutely excellent. And they have very, very low takeoff angle. Um, they fold up. They go into a, a carry bag if you want to take it with you. People say you can't take it with you when you go. Well, you can with a, a TW2010. Uh, they are uh, they're, they're just magnificent performers. Now, I've seen these things keep up with a three-element beam on a on a 50-foot tower, and I, I didn't believe it until I saw it myself, but that's exactly what these things are capable of doing. They're great for field day, and they're great for emergency operations. If you've got to make a, a real quick setup and operate, well, that's uh, something that you can do with a TW2010 and also the, uh, the, uh, the backpacker. Uh, which is the backpacker itself is kind of scaled down. It's not as it's not a heavy antenna, uh, and it doesn't have the automatic control circuits on it. So you can you change the bands by moving the slots. And but they're great to carry with you if you're if you're going out and you're doing contesting or fielding. Now emergency operations they're invaluable because they set up so quickly, and uh, you have the opportunity to get on the air fast. With, uh, with the TW2010. Uh, there's a spot if you want to go up on YouTube. Go to YouTube and just put in Trans World Antennas. Trans World Antennas. And if you go up there and you do that, uh, you'll see a video of my son David setting one up. And I, he probably has the thing up in about uh, a minute and a half, two minutes. And then he tears it down in about a minute and a half or two minutes. It, um, it's, a, it's a sight to see. Once again, we're live. This is Dayton 2011, and uh, we're broadcasting on 93.30. This is, I'm going to say thanks to Rod Hembry for, uh, and, and the Good Friends Network letting us on during this, this time because uh, we're, we are uh, occupying their space. This is normally where they are. So if you're tuning in and you're not hearing the regular programming, that's, uh, <laughs> that's why. We have commandeered the frequency. We have taken it completely over. And we also may be on 7415 right now, too. I'm not really sure. We don't uh, some, I mean, We don't know sometimes what frequencies we might have on. Sometimes Alan turns all of them on. We're on, uh, we'll be on 5110, 7415, and 9330. We'll all be coming at you on all of them at one time. I remember several times, or a couple times, he had us on... Uh, on uh, 15420, I didn't know it. We were getting signal reports from places that I didn't think we should be getting into. But that's what it was. We were on the, on the 15420 frequency. If you've never visited the Dayton Hamvention, if you've always thought to yourself, well, I mean, what happens is you, you think you want to go and you think you want to attend Dayton, and then all of a sudden, the the date comes and goes, and then you hear Dayton was last week. <laughs> you, you, oh, oh, I forgot to go. I wanted to go. Uh, it's one of the outstanding ham events, I guess. I want to say something that if you have not attended, is something you may want to consider and put it on your schedule every year. 
because it is one of those one of those events. Now uh, the other, I'll tell you another ham fest that I hi- highly recommend, and that is the one in Huntsville. The Huntsville Ham Fest is is uh, an incredible ham fest. That's not as large as Dayton, but it uh, it makes up for the actually. Let me put it this way. It's an excellent ham fest for someone who is ADD. Now, you know, I, I walk through the flea market here at Dayton, and I can tell you I, I don't know what to look at. I'm so distracted. In other words, I'm walking along, and, there, I mean, there's so many things. Um, Huntsville is smaller, so for an ADD person, <laughs> it's scaled down. So if you, if you are ADD, Huntsville is a good ham fest to go to. But it's very friendly. Well, the friendliest ham fest I've seen. Not that Dayton isn't. Dayton is a very friendly ham fest. But, uh, but Huntsville, for some reason, I don't know what it is. The, the, uh, I know, we pull up at the door, and, I, and there's people standing there saying, Here, let me help you carry this stuff in. Where's your booth? You know, and uh, it, it's really been very, very good to us at, at Huntsville. And Charlie Emerson is the man that, uh, that runs that operation. And I ran into him here. I see him every year at Dayton. He comes over and says hello and, and whatnot. So uh, if, uh, if you haven't made plans... You know, I would say get your calendar out. Tell your boss wherever you work, hey, look, Dayton is this these dates and Huntsville are these dates, and I'm unavailable during this period of time. You know, so you might as well just go ahead and shut the business down, and uh, you can operate without me, or you can just you know take a vacation during the Dayton Hamvention and during the Huntsville Hamfest. So um, we got we got somebody sitting down here. Yeah. Who, who am I speaking to? You are speaking to. Timothy Gadosh from Mad Scientist Supply. Get up a little bit closer to that microphone. Alrighty, how's this? That's good. It's a good microphone, but uh, you got to get up on it. So you're from what now, Mad? Mad Scientist Supply. Okay, well this sounds really interesting. What now? What is what is Mad Scientist Supply? Well, we are a family organization that, as a bunch of crazy tinkers got into this as a sideline trying to locate and sell uh, the most nifty electronic components, project type things, breadboarding items and other neat science related materials. Well give me give me an example of something that you folks make that's different that you can't find anywhere else. Um, we get a lot of factory overrun surplus stuff from companies that go out of business and so forth and um, the type of things that we carry pr- pretty much cover the whole scientific gamut. Um, we carry a huge selection of electronic components. We are LED addicts, and this year we had uh, quite a few full-color RGB LED signs, um, some really nifty cubes that are a matrix of 64 full-color LEDs that go through about a one-hour uh, non-repeating pattern. Um, other neat things, uh, this year we had uh, magnetic levitating devices, small, super powerful, uh, high-strength, rare-earth magnets that actually allow a piece of pyrolytic carbon to float on top of it. And well, Let me ask you this. Do you, do you get into anything like, I mean, you, you're mad scientist. Well, I think a mad scientist. I, I think of things like Tesla coils and Van de Graaff generators and things like that, you know, where you... Are you into any of that stuff at all? We are into it. Uh, we haven't had anything like that at the at the uh, ham fest yet. Uh, hopefully next year. Um, we're only we get so passionate about things. We're just afraid we'll accidentally uh, 
get too excited and end up with one of us on the floor. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, do you do you have supplies for building? Like Tesla coils and things like that. Do you sell any of that stuff? Um, right now, just the raw materials like the magnet wire, um, a lot of high-voltage capacitors, uh, coil forms, that sort of thing. Um, this year, we had a lot of protoboarding, surface mount stuff, uh, breadboarding equipment. Um, well, I'm curious, what is the hot item this year? What are you selling the most of here at Dayton? Um, ironically, we had ferrofluid, which we sold out of. Um, it's a... Uh, it's a liquid suspension colloid made by Ferrotech, which is actually used in a lot of uh, high-end speakers like tweeters and so forth to transfer the heat from the voice coil you know, to the structure of the mag- magnet to help cool it. And it, uh, it's a colloidal substance that is, has a viscosity similar to water, and when it's subjected to a magnetic field, it creates some really cool, um, well, I'd call them almost like structures. It's... Uh, depends on the pull of the magnet and so forth and the neat thing about it is no no matter how powerful the magnetic field uh the magnetic particles that are suspended in it they don't separate so they have some sort of a proprietary formula that allows the magnetic particles to stay suspended in the in the fluid so so what do hams use ferrofluid for i mean anything in particular other than speakers um well we just got it last week so we haven't even had time to think about it yet <laughs> But uh, we ran a few demonstrations, and uh, we sold uh, quite a few liters of it. So, um, And some of the stuff we get, at, you know, it, it's left over from a project from a particular company, so it allows us to purchase it at substantially less cost than you would you know, buy it for, like, from Ferrotech directly. So you know, we're looking things with, for things that are neat, that have price points that we can make available to the the average hobbyist you know, without breaking the bank. And we, we specialize in LEDs. We're, like I say, LED addicts. Oh, very, very good. Well, uh, as far as LEDs are concerned, you know, what is the absolute brightest LED that you can get your hands on today? Um, a few of the companies, uh, Cree uh, is at the forefront, and they're up around 200 to 300 watts now. Uh, the, pro- the problem they're having is the heat dissipation. You know, most people from the past know LEDs as something that always ran cool, but the uh, higher power LEDs, the ones that are used for lighting now, actually do run pretty hot, and it requires quite a bit of heat sinking. And a the reason why I say a friend of ours brought a flashlight over, and it had I forget how many lumens. It was some un. Yeah, the typical flashlight now that you can get reasonably for under twenty dollars or so is around two hundred lumens, which. Is actually amazing. Cause How many lumens was the flashlight that uh, Philbert brought over there? Five hundred. It was. I mean, it was bright. I yeah, mean, it like, probably had multiple LEDs in it. Um, well, it, it just it said Cree on it. I didn't understand what. What is Cree? Is that's that, uh, one is of the a brand name, or is yeah, it? that's the manufacturer. They're actually one of the companies that was involved with the development and the research, you know, for the white phosphor that was used for the white LEDs. Say, that, that was that was just interesting. I've never seen a flashlight that bright in my life. I mean, it was just like you could point it up in the sky and you could see this trail, you know, from the thing. Right, especially when it's humid out. It's almost like, a, you know, the those beacons they'd have to locate, you know, the planes during the war. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, searchlights. I mean, actual searchlights. I was wondering if it was possible 
to do a searchlight out of LEDs. I mean, that was. It seemed I think it would be possible now. Um, in a in the next few years, I think we're going to see LED technology take off to the next point where it's going to be used a lot, a lot more in lighting. Just about everything. It's going to be quite ubiquitous. Well, that's so. Uh, that's that's interesting. I, I, I and I wonder too because I mean everything. Everything is. I mean, LEDs are replacing every kind of light on the planet with an LED light of some sort. You know. Matter of fact, I had an old radio where the, the incandescent bulb burned out, and I said, well, I'm not going to fool that. I'm just going to find an LED to stick in there. You know, I haven't, I haven't done it yet, but I'm sure that's not going to be much of a problem, you know. Uh, nope, not at all. Uh, they're making them for just about every size application. And what is the now. lowest voltage LEDs that you, that, like you sell? Well, the standard red ones, it depends on the color because it, you know, the, the alloy of materials that is used, the the indium and the arsenic and so forth that are used to actually make the little the chips is what determines the the voltage drop. The red ones have about a 1.2 volt voltage drop, and up to the white ones and so forth, they're close to up to four volts. So they have to be put in series or so forth to get the a voltage that is commonly available to be used in order to you know, power them. Otherwise, you need a pretty high current power supply. So. I remember when I was young, LEDs were something that consumed 5, 10 milliamps, and you went over that and you'd burn them out. And we were talking LEDs now, one simple LED that could you know, draw magnitude of several amps now. How do we get a hold of you folks? Well, we are uh, putting our website together right now. It is madscientistsupply.com. And we also have the uh, URL that will direct you there, uh, LED Insanity. Dot com. Okay, that sounds really good. Well, I appreciate you coming by and talking with us. It's, it's a pleasure. Uh, Dayton is always uh, one of our favorite events of the year. And thank you for having us. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. This is Dayton 2011. And uh, I'm Ted Randall. We are here broadcasting at the Dayton Hamvention. A fellow just sat down, Dave Miller. And Dave, tell us who you're with and, and what's going on here. Sure. I'm Dave Miller. I'm with Pete Brothers Company. We're the manufacturers of the altimeter weather stations that are so popular in the amateur radio community, uh, providing weather data from surface-level observations, things like wind speeds and wind directions, temperatures, humidity, barometric pressure, rainfall, uh, and the like. We're exhibiting here at, at Hamvention uh, as we do every year. Uh, we've been in business uh, for over 30 years, manufacturing first uh, altimeters, and then uh, electronic weather instruments. One of the reasons uh, that we come to Hamvention is because of the popularity of our weather stations for applications like APRS. Uh, From its beginning, our line of electronic weather stations has had serial data output uh, capability uh, for communications. Uh, It's exactly what ham radio operators who are participating in weather networks and emergency management agency uh, groups are are looking for. Our weather stations have the ability to be connected directly to a TNC to transmit weather data uh, over the air in times of emergency uh, or just uh, to participate in weather networks that have evolved uh, across the country, such as the Citizens Weather Observer Program. Uh, It's advantageous to be able to connect your weather station directly to a TNC without having to have a computer present. 
for those remote applications or on emergency management uh, vehicles. Although if you do connect the weather station to a computer, you're able to log the weather data and share it uh, through the Internet with others uh, who are interested. We have a, a proprietary software product that allows you to automatically email weather reports, which is a very convenient um, medium for sharing the weather data with uh, non-hams or uh, others uh, in the outside world. Um, now, for folks that are, let's say, entry-level, they want to get into to some, some weather instrumentation and, and monitoring. Um, of course, now with the popularity, one thing that really I found draws a lot of young people into amateur radio, and that is the ARES Skywarn activities. I mean, some of these guys like to get out and actually chase tornadoes and things. You know? <laughs> um, but I, my question is, if, you, if you're going into, you want to do a little weather instrumentation, you want to learn how to do this, um, what's, what is entry level? Where do you suggest folks go? That's, that's a great question, Ted. Um, there are lots of weather station products out there anymore. Uh, but in, in our opinion, the definition of a, of a serious weather station that distinguishes it from a, a casual or hobbyist kind of, uh, of a toy weather station is the ability to measure wind speeds. Uh, we call them coffee table weather stations that have only temperature and humidity capability because those are sensors that can be located indoors or can be outdoors under the eaves of the roof. But a real weather station is one that has an anemometer for measuring the speed of the wind. And so I would recommend to anyone who's interested in, in becoming a, uh, uh, a spotter or working with Aries or Skywarn, if they're looking for their first weather station, be sure that they get something that has the ability to measure wind speed, has an anemometer. Our basic altimeter 100 uh, performs that wind speed and wind direction function and also measures temperatures, wind chills, and rainfall uh, capability as well. With serial data output, that provides a nice entry-level uh, weather station. Um, we had a, a show special price here at Dayton that was very well received of $99 for an entry-level reconditioned Altimeter 100 weather station. We also have new Altimeter 100 weather stations with free rain gauges at the show for $229. And those have been very popular uh, items here with the hams at Hamvention this year. Okay, for for two twenty nine, you get a new a new alti- altimeter weather station. Correct. Now, what all what all can you measure or, or observe with this particular weather station? How does that work? Yes, with the altimeter one hundred, uh, you can measure the wind speed and wind direction. We display the wind direction on a sixteen point compass rose. But it's also available in digital degrees, and it comes out of the serial data output stream that way as well. So you get good resolution of wind direction. It also displays the wind speed to the tenth of a mile per hour, although you can also select other units such as knots, kilometers per hour, or meters per second. You can display temperatures, outdoor temperatures, uh, to the tenth of a degree, And because we have wind and temperature, we can calculate the wind chill. Now, uh, rainfall measurement is also uh, uh, a possibility with the addition of the optional rain gauge. 
But uh, when you have those sensors, the other capability that you have is weather alarms. If you want an alert to a high wind speed or to a dangerously low wind chill temperature, the weather stations provide that critical data uh, as an audible alarm uh, that you can choose the threshold of as appropriate for your location. Um, now, if, if a person gets one of these, how, are they able, is this particular weather station able to interface with a computer or to be able to be monitored from a remote location if they wanted to? Yes, that's a great question. The uh, weather station, even the basic Altimeter 100, our low-cost entry model, include RS-232 serial data output requires just a simple cable connection from the weather station to the DB9 COM port of the computer. Or if you have a computer such as a laptop that has only USB ports, it can be connected to the USB port through a serial-to-USB adapter. And that enables you to log the weather data on the computer. Uh, You can also upload it to various weather networks uh, on the Internet to share it. Or something that's becoming more popular is that instead of connecting the weather station's output to a COM port on a computer, you can connect it to a serial device server, which is essentially an RS-232 to Ethernet adapter. It gives the weather station its own IP address so that the weather data can be accessed through the World Wide Web by computers anywhere. Um... As, as hams are involved in, in things like Skywarn, um, how can you get with a home, I say a home uh, monitoring system, as compared to, say, um, your local television station's ability to, to measure? I mean, are they, obviously, they're going to have top-end weather equipment. You would think they would. Now, maybe they don't. <laughs> you know, Maybe the guy at home has got more stuff than the TV station. I mean, they've got the real, real um, complex, I guess I want to say, radar systems that they use, you know. But, I mean, how, how close can you get at home to the results that they get, like, at a television station or... Well, as sophisticated as the weather instruments that, that TV stations and weather bureaus have are, uh, such as the, um, the imaging uh, technology of, of Doppler radar... There's no substitute for surface-level observations. Doppler radar uh, explains what's going on in the lower reaches of the atmosphere, but it can't tell what the wind speeds are, for example, at ground level, where all the the damage occurs to structure and property and where the danger happens to human beings. So even though uh, we have better forecasting technology uh, available to us than ever before, there's still no substitute for surface-level observations from weather stations such as the altimeter weather stations from Pete Brothers. And another practical point is that if we rely on weather data only from locations like airports, National Weather Service stations, or TV weather bureaus, then uh, the weather conditions can be very different where we live and work. Weather conditions can vary dramatically, even over a a short distance. So there's really no substitute for having a weather station at the specific location that you're concerned about. How do folks get a hold of you? They can reach us uh, through the internet at our website, www.peetbros.com or uh, they can dial our toll-free number 866 446 
1216, and we'll be happy to answer any questions that you have. Well, this has been interesting, and I thank you so much for coming by. And, I, and this is a, a point of interest with a lot of hams. I know that, that a lot of guys are involved in ARES and whatnot. And thank you very much, nice Ted. Have a Pleasure hammer. talking with you. Thank you very much. Um, I have another gentleman that just joined me here. It's Stuart Banks. He is with Tentech. And uh, I want to say hello and uh, ask you how you're doing. Maybe make sure I've got the microphone turned on. Uh, we're doing just great. The, uh, the show is going quite well. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of customers looking for really good radios still made in America, and uh, that's what we do at Tentech. <laughs> um, of course, you folks are in, uh, is, is it Sevierville? Is that? Sevierville is correct. Sevierville, yes. Tennessee. You're not very far. See, we, we're, we're out of Lebanon, so we're in Lebanon, Tennessee. We're just, we're just a little ways away from you, from you guys. You know. um, What's, what is new for this year's um, uh, Hamvention? I know, I think it was last year you were doing an audio processor of some sort. You had microphones out, and uh, these were things I had not seen out of Tentech before. Uh, the big deal, of course, with all the folks who was asking me questions about the radio that's got the RJ45 uh, Connect on the back, which you can plug into direct, directly into Internet access. So what's new this year? You guys are always doing something, so... Well, this year we've got a new um, a new product in our uh, product in our product line in our kit line, uh, the model twelve fifteen. It's a uh, two hundred watt tuner. It's a manual tuner. It's a nice kit, and um, you know we're, uh, we're we've got a lot of excitement going around that. Of course, we still have a number of the products uh, that we've introduced before that were new maybe a year ago, like the speech processor, and of course you mentioned the uh, model five eighty eight, the Omni seven. That's a, a great radio, uh, especially to use remotely. It, you plug it into your router and adjust a couple of settings in your router, and uh, you can operate that radio from thousands of miles away. And that's a nice feature that uh, we think is kind of a, a unique, a unique feature in our radio. Well, well, the, the thing about that is is that folks are um, that, that let's say don't have that radio. Uh, they they will then have to connect up through several different things. I mean, go through a, a, a cable and use like Ham Radio Deluxe or something, some software program like that. And then they use, wind up using something like Skype to get the audio to and from the radio at a, at a remote location. Um, but this rig, when you plug it in to your network, you got to stick your internet connection into the back of this thing. It's, um, it's already... In other words, once you install the software on the other end, on your notebook or whatever you're using, or however that's done, it's done. In other words, you don't, you're not having to go with Skype. You're not having to do all these other, jump through any of these other hoops, so to speak. It's all put together and ready to roll for you. That's right. That's one of the, the nice things about that radio is it lets you, it lets you do that without, without basically anything else. Uh, a radio that we've got in our product line now that we introduced at our Hamfest last, last September was the Eagle, and uh, the Eagle is a full-featured 100-watt radio. Uh, it's more uh, sized like a portable radio, so it's perfect for um, applications where people want a portable radio or a mobile radio. It's full 100-watt radio, um, full DSP features, and. Uh, color display backlit display over 200 colors and uh we we really really had a lot of excitement about that radio as a matter of fact one of the models of that radio the one with the tuner we've sold out of we hope to have them back in shortly but uh we still got a few of the plain ones left 
and um, that's really a, a popular item for us. Um, when you mentioned, uh, when you mentioned, uh, uh, I just want to say, uh, let me let me go this way. Entry level radios. What is the entry level Tentec? Somebody that's wanting to get into ham radio, they want to buy a local, a locally made, a radio made in the USA, something that that they know is going to be around for a while. What what is the entry level radio in Tentec in the Tentec line? We don't really have what we call an entry level radio in that it's pared down feature wise. We've got uh, a radio that's our one of our least expensive models would either be the Eagle that I just spoke about or the Jupiter. And those um, those are in the price range of the, you know, $1,600 to $1,800 type price range. Um, you know, there, there are a number of other models in the marketplace that are pared-down radios that can be had for a little less money, but uh, you, you've kind of got a pared-down radio. Tentec uh, takes pride in producing... Really, really good quality equipment, and uh, everything we offer is a really good performing radio. So, uh, but if uh, you're interested in getting started at ham radio, give us a call. Um, and you know, we're at 800 833 7373, or you can find us on the web at www.tentec.com. And uh, we'd be glad to help you and uh, answer any questions you have. We well, the very first uh, Tentec radio that I ever had. Was a an Omni A, I believe it was, old black radio with it, and with an analog dial, and, all. and I had never used it. I mean, I bought it at a ham fest, didn't pay very much for it, brought it in, set it on on the shelf, and I forget what happened. Something happened. The rig went out or something. I said, Ah, let's hook up this Tentec radio. Hooked it up, and as soon as it came to life, I started tuning around, and I thought. Wow, this is an old rig, and the receiver was unbelievable on this thing. I thought, oh my goodness, does this receiver sound nice? You know, now I don't know what it was I was hearing. I mean, I couldn't tell you. I mean, I couldn't tell you its selectivity, its audio uh, frequency response, or its dynamic range. I don't know what it was. It was just a combination of things made you want to hear or listen to that receiver. That receiver just was incredible. You know. Now, I, I also had picked up a, a 580 Delta. This was later on. Now, I can tell you, that, that it had a great receiver on it. It sounded good. didn't sound as good or as, as nice as that Omnia 8. So what, what would be the difference? These are old radios. I mean, I can imagine where you're at now. Um, you know, all of our radios are um, kind of um, unique in that we really, really spend a lot of time in engineering and in production and receiver performance and all of our receiver performance numbers and actual the way it sounds to the ear it, they're just superb uh if there there's um an outfit that does independent testing of radios and um he he checks everybody's radios ours all the competitors and everybody's and of the first six radios in his list uh we enjoy three positions in that first six radios as far as receiver performance so uh the, the kind of the trademark of Tentec, uh, as it were, made in America, fantastic receiver performance, and really fun to operate, easy to operate. Don't have cumbersome menus like like some guys complain about in, in some rigs. The Tentec rigs are just really, really, really fun to get on the air and use. Well, that that's the main thing. If they're they're easy to operate, is is the is the main thing, and, and, they're, and they're straightforward. So if you look at the front of that front end of that radio, uh, you can kind of intuitively pick up as to what to do without having to read and wade through books and manuals. I mean, 
I, I know I've got one little HT that uh, I, I think they probably ought to give classes, you know, to teach you how to run this thing. You know, just to put a frequency in it is a major thing, you know. And I, and I that stuff makes me cringe sometimes because I see see guys struggling with it, especially if something's very small, too, and you're trying to, you know. And I, I know most of the Tentech rigs are pretty good-sized rigs, you know. they got nice big front ends on them. You can see what you're doing. You know, I don't know. There's something about that. Listen, I don't want to I don't want to make you stay longer than you should. I know you got to get back to your booth. But I really appreciate you coming by. And, of course, let's give the website out so folks know if, if they've heard of Tentech, maybe this is new to them, where we can find you on the web. Okay, yeah, we're on the web at www.tentec.com. And um, we have a complete website that lists all of our products. And uh, you can get complete pictures and specifications and uh, complete information on anything that we make. I certainly do appreciate you uh, You giving me the opportunity to speak to you. Well, it's good having you come by here and talk to us. You know, we're, we're neighbors, you know. <laughs> all right, thank you. Thank you. This is Dayton, the Hamvention 2011. That's where we're at, and we're broadcasting live. And uh, we've got, um, we've got, uh, okay, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. i got another fellow here sitting down here with me. And your name is? Clint Barker with hamapparel.com. Ham Apparel. Yes. I'm, I'm trying to turn down the unneeded microphone. <laughs> A little bit quieter on the set here. So now, tell me a little bit about what you do. Yeah, uh, we started the company about a year and a half ago, and we're supplying just ham radio T-shirts and apparel. So we're trying to do something younger and fresh that's not out on the market yet. Well, give us an example of what kind of stuff you got going there. Uh, We have a bunch of different T-shirts. We have Samuel Morris icon shirt. We have... Uh, the green eggs and ham shirt, if people see that walking around. We have the Few Understand uh, radio and Morse code. We have um, just a bunch of good shirts that we're trying to get out. Um, let me ask, what what is the most popular thing as far as what do you see hams going for in the way of apparel? What are they looking for? I mean, is it, I mean, it's obviously your, your forte is T-shirts, but I mean... Do you do other things like hats and polos and things like that? Not yet. We're uh, working towards getting the hats in and then um, doing some wristbands and different stuff like that. So that's on the coming up. <laughs> so what about the slogans? Do you, now, do you have everything that's on these shirts? Is this stuff that you've already got printed, or can you print things on shirts as well? It's what we already have printed. So, and what's and and what are? Give me the exa- an example of some of these things that that are on the on the on the t-shirts. Well, we have a uh, few understand, and then underneath in Morse code, it has the radio, like what you're wearing. <laughs> and then we have uh, the sunspots t-shirt, and then we have um, the green eggs and ham t-shirt. We have. Let's see. We have uh, CW is greater than texting, so we have a bunch of different shirts. So. Oh, very, very good. Well, I, I appreciate you coming by here. Now, how do they? How do folks uh, get a hold of you? Uh, www.hamapparel.com. So. www.hamapparel.com. Yes, sir. And that's and that's where they can get their their green eggs and ham <laughs> amateur radio t-shirts. Uh huh. 
Well, very good. Well, I appreciate you coming by. All right. And thanks. You, you, you have a good and enjoy the rest of the show. All right. This is Dayton 2011, and uh, we're broadcasting from the Dayton Hamvention. And uh, well, thank you very much for listening to this broadcast. I want to say thank you to Rod Hembry for giving us the uh, opportunity to, to broadcast during this slot of the uh, dur- during the day here, which is normally what you hear is uh, is is Rod and uh, and his group, the Good Friends Radio Network. It's uh, it's Dayton 2011. We're here at the at the Hamvention, and uh, we've got a gentleman just sitting down here to join us. And uh, we're having a, let me make sure I got the right microphone on here. And uh, why don't you say hello to everyone, tell us what your name is and where you're from and all that sort of thing. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, I'm, my name is Omur. I'm from Turkey. Uh, my call sign, T-A-3-L-L. And uh, what, what frequencies do you operate on mostly? What, what, do you, what kind of... Uh, activity are you engaged in in ham radio? Uh, mostly, uh, I speaking uh, international frequencies uh, and uh, uh, HF uh, radio. Uh, that's it. You, do you do you do uh, CW much at all? You much CW or mostly phone? Yes, I do. Uh, <laughs> Well, are you enjoying this, the Hamvention? Are you seeing some stuff here that you that you like? Exactly, uh, I'm enjoying, having a lot of fun. Thank you. I put this gentleman here. See, I speak no other language than English. Now you're speaking. You are normally in your native tongue. You are from Turkey, so you you speak your native language, and you also can speak some English. I so see you're way ahead of me because I can only speak English, and that's all. So yeah, you're doing a lot better than I am. <laughs> I understand you, but sometimes I don't understand things. Uh, uh-huh. Maybe sometimes I can't say. I want to say uh, too much uh, things, but uh, now I'm learning in New York and English. Uh, thank you so much uh, for, uh, for uh, here working. Well, you're, you're quite welcome. I hope you enjoy the ham fest. Yes. And uh, I hope everybody treats you nice here now. I don't know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Very good. Well, thank you much. 2011, it's, it's Dayton, and that's where we're at. And, uh, this is the Dayton Hamvention uh, coming to you from the, the Hera Arena in Dayton, Ohio. And, of course, we've got, oh, there's a lot of international folks here this year. I mean, people from overseas that are from all kinds of different different countries and whatnot. This is really quite amazing to see so many people here. Um, coming from different countries and visiting the uh, the Hamvention, 